officers in the church. Acts 6, 1-7, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6, 15-28, Ephesians 4, 1-8, 11-13, 1 Timothy 3, 1-13, 1 Timothy 5, 17-19, Titus 1, 5-9, and 1 Peter 5, 1-5. Memory verse, yeah, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5, 5. Notes The Government of the Early Church God began to bless the early church immediately after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the promised signs began to follow the ministrations of the apostles. The number of the disciples was multiplied, and with that increase there came also certain additional problems. The apostles, acting on their understanding of God's will for them, called the multitude of disciples together to discuss the problems occasioned by the phenomenal growth of the church. We can see in even these early acts of the apostles, the methods that God has sanctioned and approved for the government of His Church and for taking care of both the spiritual and temporal matters of the Church. These things, also, are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come, 1 Corinthians 10:11. Here, in the Acts of the Apostles, we have many examples set forth that show us how to conduct our worship of God and how to administer the temporal duties of the work of the Lord. The apostles had felt the call of God very keenly. They were not unmindful of the responsibilities that were theirs and which were to be passed on to all followers of Christ because of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20. The action they took at this time was designed to allow them to continue doing the spiritual work which had already been occupying their entire time and to guarantee that they would not have to leave it to do the work which others could do who were not at that time particularly called to the spiritual work of the Church. Universal Responsibility in the Church It is always better, especially in the work of the Lord, if responsibility can be distributed among as many people as possible. This is a sound practice for several reasons. In the first place, there are to be no lords over God's heritage, 1 Peter 5, 3, but all are to be clothed with humility and subject one to another, 1 Peter 5, 5. Like the stones that were cut and shaped in the quarries and then brought to the temple site, the saints of God are prepared by God for a specific place in His church. All the true people of God have a place in the work of the Lord. None are excluded. None are forgotten. None are considered as unworthy of some place in the service of God, in a capacity that fits their capabilities, if they are true children of God. None are to be inactive. All have places to fill, humble or unnoticed though they may be, and each one will be rewarded for the manner in which he fills his God-given responsibility. Since we are all human beings, subject to the limitations of a finite mind, no one of us can see or understand all phases of the problems that regularly come up in the work of the Lord. Some are gifted along certain lines and others along lines that are far different. Some are eloquent in speech and some are skilled in technical abilities. 
Some are hesitant along some particular line of work while being boldly confident along another. All have a place and all are needed. We must all depend upon one another. Where one cannot fill the need, another must take up the torch, so to speak, and carry on. Where one is incapable of fulfilling a task, another must give a helping hand, an encouraging word, or an intercessory prayer. Tremendous things can be accomplished for God and for mankind if the true spirit of cooperation exists in the body of believers. Qualifications of Workers It is extremely interesting to see how the essential qualifications set forth by the apostles differ from those usually looked for by earthly examiners. Men of the world look for qualities that are largely missing from this list given by the apostles. Men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom were those who could be used in God's service. One might ask, why place so much emphasis on the spiritual qualifications in those who are to do a steward's work? Were not these men merely to take care of the distribution of the food and physical necessities of the group? Yes, that was to be their responsibility. But for even that work and for any other work in the kingdom cause, it is necessary that the servant of Christ be of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Naturally, one must be of honest report to be a member of the Church of Christ. His former dishonesty is gone. He is a new creature. He no longer walks in the paths of dishonesty. Therefore, if the applicant's life is questionable along any line of honesty or personal integrity, it can be rightly said that he is actually not a member of the Church of Christ and has no right to serve in any capacity as a representative of that church. Paul the Apostle set forth some of these qualifications in more detail when instructing those under his influence. He said that such must be blameless, not an adulterer, he must be a vigilant person who is sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, willing to receive instruction, and capable of teaching others if that is his call. He must not be a quarrelsome person, not greedy for money or personal gain, not contentious or filled with enmity, and most certainly not covetous. His children should be well disciplined and his household ruled with diligence and paternal affection. But these qualifications are not all that are mentioned as belonging to those who serve in the work of God. Those who are thus specifically commissioned must also be filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom. It is significant that the word wisdom is here mentioned in connection with the Holy Ghost. The wisdom that we must have, if we are faithfully going to execute the service of God, is that wisdom which cometh from above. This is not the wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and devilish, which sponsors envyings and strife. The wisdom that comes from God is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy, James 3:17. We can ask for it in faith, nothing wavering, because God gives it to all men liberally, James 1, 5, 6. There is, therefore, no excuse for the one who does not have it. If he does not have it, the reason for his lack is simply that he has not asked for it, 
but has been content to go on in his own wisdom, his own sagacity, and his own self-sufficiency. The final necessary attribute is the endowment of the Holy Spirit. The particular thing that is mentioned here is an abiding endowment of that wonderful power for service. It is the power that was promised by Jesus before he went to the cross to die and again before he ascended to heaven. Read John 14, 15 to 26, John 15, 26, 27, John 16, 7 to 15, and Acts 1 8. It is the necessary gift from above that equips and commissions us, making us capable of leading men to God. Offices of Responsibility in the Apostolic Faith Work With careful diligence, the first general overseer of our organization and her associates laid the foundations for this organization so it would be scriptural in every way. Observing that the spiritual offices were first mentioned and first filled, in the early church, these places of responsibility were first filled and priority given them in the organization of the apostolic faith work. There are differences of administrations and diversities of operations in our work, as in the early church. The preaching of the Word of God is the most important function of the church and must be carried on by those who are called and qualified in every gift and grace that is necessary for that exacting and all-consuming work. It must have priority over every other function of the church. It must precede, in relative importance, every other thing done or undertaken by the church. The offices of prophets, preachers of the word of God, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, must of necessity be filled in order that the saints might be perfected and the body of Christian believers edified. After these commonly called spiritual offices were filled, then attention was turned to the other responsibilities important to the promulgation of the gospel of Christ. From the very beginning of the apostolic faith work we were taught that there was to be no schism or division in the body. All are to be united in that unity that defies analysis and which is found only in and between those who are entirely sanctified. Read Hebrews 2, 11, John 17, 9-23, and Ephesians 5, 22-32. We were shown that all things must be done unto edifying, in a decent and orderly manner, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, 40, for God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. The spirits of the ministers of the gospel must be subject to one another, 1 Corinthians 14, 32, and 1 Peter 5, 5, 6. Also, we, who are members of the body of believers, are instructed to be subject to one another even as the ministers of the gospel are instructed to take into consideration the wisdom, judgment, and spiritual discernment of their associate ministers. None of U.S. ministers or lay members are to show an independent spirit or attitude toward one another, nor are we to feel self-sufficient in any matter. Especially as the coming of the Lord nears and the powers of deception increase in the world, we need to depend upon and receive help from one another in every spiritual need. We are to covet earnestly the best gifts and contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 and Jude 3. We are to stir up the gift of God, 
which is in us, 2 Timothy 1, 6. We are to do with our might whatsoever our hands find to do, Ecclesiastes 9, 10. Having done all these things to the best of our ability, we are then able to put our trust in God for His blessing upon our efforts. God has honored the work as it has been carried on, and His blessing has been upon it. Because of this approval by the Holy Spirit, and because of the promised signs which we see following the sincere efforts and prayers that have been offered, we have reason to feel that the methods that have been followed are correct. We have a general overseer and an assistant general overseer who take the overall responsibility of the apostolic faith work. Each branch church is responsible to the general overseer at headquarters. Requirements of our civil government making it possible to transact all necessary legal affairs and other administrative matters for the Apostolic Faith Mission of Portland, Oregon, and all its branches, are taken care of by a Board of Trustees at the headquarters. This Board of Trustees is selected from the ministerial staff and approved by the congregation at a general business meeting. A secretary-treasurer takes care of the financial and legal matters and when he joins the Board of Trustees this group is called the Executive Board. There are elders, deacons, and deaconesses as in the early church. The duty of an elder is to assist and stand behind the ministry in loyal support of all that is being done for the furtherance of the gospel. These godly men and women do work of a spiritual nature that is otherwise done only by ministers. They may pray for the sick, either with a minister or with another elder. When a minister is giving counsel or reproof, an elder is often asked to assist the minister in the confirmation of the truth and the enforcement of discipline. The elder's cooperation is sought by the minister many times when he is trying the spirits to see whether or not they are of God, 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, and 1 John 4, 1. The elders are usually veteran workers who have a call from God, and have proved their love for the souls of men, their fidelity to the doctrines of the Church, and their loyalty to the ministry. Their advice and counsel is often sought by the wise minister, and frequently they are called to augment the governing board when questions of great importance are to be taken up by that body. They are often rightly referred to as pillars of the Church, and their prayers and faith are of inestimable value. The deacons and deaconesses are those who supervise the labor in the temporal interests of the work of God. Places of responsibility, regarding the care and maintenance of the church property and equipment and labor of a mechanical or technical nature necessary to the spread of the gospel, are filled by these deacons and deaconesses. In our organization we do not place much stress on the titles of these various offices, nor does anyone wear a specific garb or uniform but we do realize the importance of the service that is rendered by those who are actually filling the offices. Each one is called by God to the responsibility, for it is the Holy Spirit who seeks out those best qualified for the responsibilities and positions in the Church of Christ. Our desire and aim is to be sure that promotions come in this way. For this reason, and to allow the Spirit of God complete freedom in His work in the Church, we minimize and avoid as much as possible the machinery of organization. It is obvious that those whom God has called are worthy of the respect of all the body of believers. 
Any work or responsibility in connection with the church is important, and each and every call or appointment is important and exacting. We must give our best to the work if we are to be considered faithful in it, and in so doing we will be taking a step toward greater and more exacting responsibilities. Philip and Stephen were faithful in their work, and they found places of increased responsibility in the ministry of the Word. Stephen preached a sermon that aroused the opposition of the Christ-haters of his day, but he won commendation and accomplished a work that few, if any, others have ever experienced. Philip preached the gospel for years in different places and was used by God in a miraculous way to bring the truth to those who were in need. We can see in these two examples that faithfulness has its reward, and we can also see that respect and honor is due to those who may be called to a steward's work, for in these may be found the ministers and leaders for the spiritual work of the future. The principles of organization of our branch churches are similar to the organization of the church at the headquarters. The pastor, or minister in charge, is assisted by other ministers, elders, deacons, or deaconesses, as is necessary and possible, depending on the size of his congregation. An individual may be chosen to take care of the financial matters, as in the headquarters organization. And while there may be no actual board of trustees, the wise pastor is one who will surround himself with those who have wisdom and spiritual insight into the problems that naturally arise in connection with the work of God. What a privilege to be a member of that mystical body, the Bride of Christ, and to be allied with Christ in the work of redemption. To us is committed the ministry and word of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19. We are stewards of the mysteries of God, 1 Corinthians 4, 1. It is the Holy Spirit and the Bride of Christ who are sending the gospel message to lost souls today, in the great preparation for the day of the Lord, Revelation 22:17. There are battles to fight for God, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. We have grave and solemn responsibilities to assume, to carry, and to see fulfilled. But how great is our privilege? How far-reaching are the effects of our work for God, if we faithfully do those things which He has given us to do? How glorious will be our reward if we continue to the end and are able to lay precious sheaves at His feet, because we have done faithfully, carefully, and with holy zeal, the things He has given us to do?